All right, as Kim said, uh, theme verse, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came that we'd have life and have it abundantly, so we're focusing mostly on Jesus coming to give us abundant life, a little bit on the enemy coming to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, that idea of abundant life, I said, I feel like we see it most clearly in Genesis 1 and 2. I think that's the be- it's a very brief snapshot, but to me it's the best one we have in the Bible of how God intended for us to live. He said there are three elements, rest, work, and relationship. We started with rest. Uh, we said that's intentional non-productivity. We said rest is intentional non-productivity. All three of these elements have a vertical and a horizontal dimension. So vertically, rest is trusting in the work of Jesus to bring us into a right relationship with God, as opposed to trusting in our own good works and our own behavior. Horizontally, rest is trusting in the goodness of God, that he's the one that's holding everything together, that he's the one that sustains everything that he's the one who is sovereign over creation, and so we can play. We don't have to work seven days a week. We we can work six days a week. There can be times where we're intentionally not getting things done, and that's what, if you read the Old Testament, that's really what the Sabbath was about. And when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, he said it was a gift to us. The Sabbath was made for men and women. It's a gift from God to us. We um, are made to rest. And so we talked about that last week. We talked a little bit about how the enemy tries to rob us of rest. If you missed it, you can go back and you can listen if you want to grab that from last week. Tonight we're going to look at work. So if rest is intentional non-productivity, you can just define work as it's our contribution. It's what we bring to the table. And there's a vertical and a horizontal dimension to work as well. These things to me get Uh, intermingled pretty easily, but we're going to try to separate them just for the sake of clarity. But in your own life, they're probably going to be much, it's going to be much messier than this. So here are your two main verses for tonight. When you think about your contribution to the kingdom, so that's that vertical dimension, Ephesians 2.10, we've been creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you've been to church here for any length of time, you've heard us talk about doing your deal. You hear people talk about calling. That's where, this, that's where that idea comes from, Ephesians 2.10. And then you can see back to Genesis, that's your contribution to society. God takes Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, says, work this. That's how, that was their job. That was Adam's job and Eve's job. It was to work the land, to work the garden. And we all contribute to society as well. Uh, Non-Christians, people who are not following Jesus, absolutely can do Genesis 2.15. They can't do Ephesians 2.10 until they say yes to Jesus. There, are, uh, there, there is work that is illegitimate. We're not going to spend any time on that. Prostitution, abortion providers, sweatshop owners, those types of things that aren't contributing to the good would all be considered illegitimate forms of work. But we're not going to spend any time on that. That's not what y'all are engaged in. So let's look a little bit at the vertical. So... When we're talking about vertical work, Ephesians 2.10, the big word is vocation. The more common word is calling. That's what you'll, you'll hear that word in church a lot. Those are the good works that God's created for you to do. Some people talk about their destiny. Some people talk about a dream, uh, God's will for their life. All of those things are synonymous with this idea of vocation. Though your vocation or your calling rarely changes... You do it for joy and obedience, 
That's how you contribute to what God is doing in the world. So God is making all things new. And he's chosen to say, hey, I'm going to get you all to help me. He doesn't need our help. He's just chosen to bring us into uh, to, to, to get us involved. We said before, it's kind of like take your kid to work day. Your kid doesn't necessarily add a whole lot. You're choosing to bring him in. And that's that's how it is with us. God is at work and he's saying, hey, y'all are my children. Y'all come on to work with me. Um, it's if you like great commission language. Go into all the world and make disciples. This is how you make disciples. This is your unique way of contributing to what God is doing in the world. So that's the vertical. Let's see the next one, please. So key ideas. One is you've got to figure out what your calling is. We don't have time to do this tonight. We do something once or twice a year called FIT. If you're struggling with the idea of your calling... Next time fit comes around, you may want to jump in. We spend about six or eight weeks looking at that. But just real brief overview, some questions that you can think about. Look up. What would you say God has said to you? I mean, these are the good works God has created in advance for you to do. So when you look up, what are the things that you say? This, these verses have been important to me. Maybe you had a dream at some point in your life that you felt like was from the Lord. Maybe you had a prophetic word spoken to you. Maybe there's certain stories in the Bible that you that that stir you. So you're looking up, God. What have you? What are you saying to me? You look in. What has God given to you? Another way of thinking about your calling is what's in you that God wants you to give away to other people. That that process is called multiplication. God's given this to me, and I'm going to give it to whoever is willing to receive it. That's hard for some people because we tend to um, uh, downplay the gifts that we've been given. They seem commonplace to us. They don't seem very special. Things that are easy to us, we assume are easy for everybody. So it's, it's not, for many of us, it's hard to see our own giftedness. And that's why it's important to have some people in your life who can see those things in you. But if you're honest, like what, that he wants to give away. Some of you are feelers. And so maybe you want to think about what really stirs you. Either what makes you cry, either because you're angry or because you're really excited. Those may be, that may be a clue what your calling is. Like I can say human trafficking is terrible. It, it doesn't stir me on an emotional level. Like up here, it's terrible. So how can we deal with it? It doesn't, it doesn't keep me up at night, if that makes sense. It's not a deep passion for me. And for some of you, something like that is. And that may be a clue that... God is leading you, you're calling in that direction. Look out. Where do you feel drawn? Are there groups of people? I love middle school students, or it's, this, it's my neighborhood, or it's these guys at work. Are there particular groups of people who you feel called to? We talk about the walls of the city, the government and education and families and church and business and arts and science. And maybe there's one of those that you feel like, man, I, I want to see God working in this sphere of influence. That may be a clue for you. Look back. Where have you seen fruit? What, what, what do people ask you to help them with? When people come to you, what are, they, what are they asking for? What are they trying to get from you? Where have you been successful? All of those things can help you know what your calling is. And again, that's way too much. That's beyond the scope of what we're doing tonight. But some people, when we talk about calling, shut down immediately because they feel like I don't have one. God's never spoken to me about that. I don't have anything. And that's that is not true. 
That verse says, we've all, every one of us, there are no asterisks next to Ephesians 2.10 that say, except for Jeremy Morse, everybody else has good works. It doesn't say that. It's for all of us, and I don't want you to get discouraged if you feel like you don't know exactly what your deal is at this point. We can help you begin to walk through that. If you don't want to wait till fit, then call Kim and we'll set up a time and we'll walk through it uh, before that happens. Um, And then ultimately, what was interesting to me, probably six years ago, when we started kind of looking at Ephesians 2.10 and realized that would be an important part of our church, we did this thing, we did about a four-week deal where we said, hey, we're going to help people figure out their calling because I assume people didn't know it. And so we had about 50 people come through at a time. And the last night, we had two groups. And we said, if you, if you don't know what your calling is, come to the right, and we want to pray for you. And if you know what your calling is but you're not actually engaged in it, come to the left, and we want to pray for you. Two people didn't know. Forty-eight people knew and weren't engaged. So it's, it's not enough just to know. God wants us to do. He wants us actively engaged. So some of you may have a, a, a very clear sense of your vocation. You have a very clear sense of how God has gifted you and how he wants to use you. So then the question is, well, are you actively and intentionally engaging in that activity? And if the answer is no, then let's kind of let's figure out why that is and let's get moving. So that's vertical work. Now, horizontal, this is your occupation. That's the big word or your job. So I've got vocation calling on one hand. I've got occupation job on the other. Again, this is from Genesis 2. This, uh, this changes pretty regularly. Most people have changed jobs every four and a half years. So if your working career is 40 years, you're talking about eight to ten jobs. Most people even have three to five careers Eight to ten jobs, three to five different careers. That's a, that's a lot of change. That idea of being somewhere for 30 years, that's not reality for most people anymore. Your job in general is what you do for money. Now, some of you may say, I stay home. You, if you, you can put, let's just put that under the same category. There's plenty of things out there that say, if you stay home, here's how much money you're earning by doing things for free that you would have to have somebody pay to do. That's a job. It's a role. It's also a job. So put staying home under that same category. This is I didn't say this earlier. If you're a stay at home parent and you want to jump straight to, oh, my calling is my kids. I'm not going to let you do that. It's not you may get there eventually, but that short circuits the whole process and your kids are going to be gone. And so you may not be able to see that yet, but they will be. That's not God didn't put you on the earth just to raise those children. That's an important role now, and you need to do that and take that seriously. It's just like I would say to someone who's working outside of the home, don't jump just straight to my calling as my job. Not necessarily the case either. So this is what you do for money. It's how you make a living. It's how you contribute to society. Uh, Let's see the next one. Key ideas. Recognize the sovereignty of God in your job placement. So... Wherever you are, if you're at home or you're working outside of the home, let's just assume that God puts you there. Let's assume that the sovereignty of God has you in that office, in that factory, in that classroom, in that home. And then you begin, it changes your perspective if you assume God's put you there. You may say, I I didn't pray about it. Let's just, again, let's just assume the sovereignty of God. He put you there. And then you can begin to say, why? 
Why am I here? Why am I at Brassfield and Gory? What's the point of that for me? Why am I at Lockheed? What's the deal? And you begin to ask him, not in a, I hate this, accusing way, but in a sense of saying, God, you know what you're doing. This is where you've got me. Why? Why am I here? Um, work to the glory of God. You all get that. It's Colossians 3. It talks about everything you do, do to the glory of God. You work with integrity. You're responsible. You don't, you know, you don't steal office supplies. You don't, you don't, all that kind of stuff. We don't do that. We don't run our employers down behind their back. We don't, all of the stuff that's out there. And y'all don't do that. That's just part of um, working to the glory of God. And then remember, wherever you are, you're salt and light. That's part of your identity. So regardless of the context where you find yourself Monday to Friday, 8 to 5 or 9 to 6, whatever it is, you're salt and you're light and you're looking for opportunities to be that in those uh, environments. So let's see the next. So this, this may or may not be helpful. If this is not helpful for you, then you can forget about it. But it does help some people begin to talk about job and calling a little bit or occupation and vocation. So you can think of two extremes on a continuum. On the far left, we've got tent maker. On the far right, we've got priest. Most people are somewhere on the continuum. Somewhere on that continuum is where most people fall. So Paul is a biblical example of a tent maker. Paul's vocation His calling was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's what God said. You're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That's your, those are your good works. That's how you contribute to what I, God, am doing in this world. That's how you make disciples, is you are an apostle to the Gentiles. And if you read through the book of Acts, Paul did it. He traveled all over the known world, primarily in Gentile areas, establishing primarily Gentile churches. Peter worked primarily with Jews. Paul worked primarily with Gentiles. If you're a tent maker, your job has very little to do with your calling. The reason we call it a tent maker is why? Because Paul literally made tents. That's what he did. That's how he made a living. If you read through some of his letters, he makes a huge point to say, I don't get a dime for preaching the gospel. I could get paid, but I'm choosing not to. He says that in, 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 in the letters to the Corinthians. They're actually giving him a hard time because he won't take any money from them. And he says, that's not what I do. There were traveling speakers during the time who would go around and they would give, uh, they would give uh, speeches. And people would pay them. and It was like a dinner party. And that was your entertainment, was to have a great order come in and speak. And Paul's saying, that's not, that, that's not what this is. This is not a great speech designed to entertain you. This is a life-giving message, and you need to hear it. And I'm not taking a dime for it. He argues pretty strongly that people can get paid for their work for the gospel, but he chooses not to take money. He made, he made tents. That's how he made money. Uh, I heard this. I'm not sure if it's true, but I've heard that all rabbis during the time had a skill. They could get money from, congr- from uh, their followers through like voluntary offerings. But they also all had a skill that they could fall back on, and this was Paul's skill that he could fall back on. So, so someone like Paul gets no money from their calling, no money from their, from their vocation, no money from doing their deal. Then on the far other side is a priest, the Levites, as a good Old Testament example, where their job is identical to their calling. The Levites 
ate the sacrifices that came in. That's how they, that's where they got their food. They got a portion of the sacrifices. They got a portion of the offerings. So the way they put food on the table was by doing their deal. It was by living out their calling to be priests in the temple. They're paid to do their deal. And again, most of us are somewhere kind of in between. When you begin to think about your calling, you may say, you know what? There is an element of my job that kind of lines up with that. Maybe, maybe not. Let's see the next, please. So this was Bo three years ago. Was it three years? Yes? Thought so. So Bo used to sell chicken. And before he sold chicken, he used to dig wells. So his occupation three years ago was selling chicken. His calling or his vocation was to lead people into the presence of God. It's been that way since how long? Have you known that? Twelve years he's known that was God's calling on his life, was to lead people into the presence of God. But for a long stretch of those 12 years, he didn't get paid to do that. He worked at Tip Top, and he volunteered either at Riverstone when he was there, or he volunteered here. Uh, We wound up paying him a little bit for Sundays after a couple of years of him volunteering. And so you could see, well, he's kind of, those spheres or, or circles are separated from him. There wasn't a lot of overlap. Now, he worked for a Christian company, and those people were very supportive of his calling, but he wasn't paid to lead worship. If he was terrible at client services, he would have gotten fired. It didn't matter how good his voice was. That's not what they were paying him to do. Does that make sense? And that may be where some of you find yourself, where you would say, I'm, that, I'm, when I look at that continuum, I'm kind of towards the left on the tent maker side. I'm where Bo was a few years ago. I, my job doesn't necessarily tie into my calling. That is not bad at all. It's not less than. It's not bad. It doesn't mean your calling is insignificant. None of those things are true. It just means you don't get paid like Paul to do your deal. And he's a great person to model your life after. So this is where Bo is now. There's much more overlap between his job and his calling. They don't line up perfectly. He does get paid to lead people into the presence of God. But he also gets paid to manage our finances and to manage our facilities, which has nothing to do with leading people into the presence of God. So his job is probably as aligned as it will ever be, but it's not a perfect overlap at all. Neither one of those two is better than the other. And I want you to hear me say that very clearly. They're just different, but neither is better than the other. Paul is not better or worse than the Levites. Tent maker is not better or worse than priests. The reason I want to make that distinction is because I want you to have a sense of what both of those things are for you. It's very easy if I say, what do you get paid to do? You can tell me. If I say, what do you do Monday to Friday, through Friday, nine, you can tell me. I homeschool my kids. She doesn't get paid to do that, but it's what she does. I'm, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I homeschool my children. Okay. That's what she does. I teach math at Mount Perrin. It's what she does. Most people can do that. I want you to be able to also say, and this is what God has called me to do. And, and then I want you to be able to take the next step and see how those things relate to one another, if at all. I think one of the primary ways the enemy undermines this idea of work is he gets us frustrated over what we get paid to do and what we feel called to do from the Lord. And I think that frustration or that confusion undermines and destroys so much of the way God wants to use us to bless people in our world, to contribute to society, 
and to cooperate with what he's doing in our city in terms of making all things new. Are there any more? Or is that all? Maybe where you find yourself. He convinces so many people that we don't have anything to contribute. I don't know enough. I'm too sinful. I don't have anything to give. Those types of ideas. If, if I say, what is your calling? And you say, I don't have one. That's a lie. The enemy's convinced you of something that is patently untrue. But for many people, they get stuck there. Some people are ignorant. I'm, you know, I, every month that we talk about this, I, we start talking about doing your deal. Somebody will say, I had no idea. I didn't know I had any part. I thought it was just pastors and missionaries. I had no idea that God could use me or would want to use me. Absolutely, he does. Fear. What if I mess up? What if, what if, dot, dot, dot. Busyness is a huge one where we live. Again, 48 out of 50 people who say, I know what my calling is, but I'm not engaged for many of them. It's not urgent. It's not screaming. And so it doesn't get attention. It's easy, even though it's super important, because it's not urgent, it's easy to back burner. Requires intentionality to really engage in your calling horizontally. Things that will undermine you on your job. Lack of contentment. I'm sure you've met that person. The grass is not always greener. Sometimes it is, but it isn't always. That's why, to me, you assume the sovereignty of God. You assume God has placed you where he's placed you until you feel led to move into something else. It's fine to change jobs. Don't hear me saying you've got to be somewhere for it. It's fine to change jobs. I don't know that it's fine to bounce around thinking that your job is going to fulfill you. It's not. Even if you're, if Bo was thinking his life would be made when he got hired by a church, he would be very disappointed. Jesus makes his life. His job doesn't make his life. And this tent maker, if that's where you see yourself, your job should pay your bills. If your job does not pay your bills, then it's not doing its job. And so you need to find, some, you need to find something that does. If your job requires so much of you that you have nothing left to give to the kingdom, that's not good. Either because you are required to work too much, because it's too far away from your home and you spend so much time commuting, because it's so stressful, you're just wiped out. If that's how you find yourself, if you're an accountant and you feel that way on April 15th, that's okay. That's fine. Like, that's, fine. that's seasonal. Like, you get that. But if that's, if that's constant... Week in and week out, you would say, I got nothing to give to anyone because my job sucks everything out of me. You probably need to look somewhere else because that's, you don't have anything left to give to the kingdom. You don't have anything left for your calling because you're spending it all on your job. And that's not what God designed. That's not how he designed it. Your job is important and it's necessary and you want to be the best employer slash employee you can be. But that's not, that's not the full picture. For you. And I think that's an easy place for us to fall into as Americans and really as American Christians. That's an easy ditch for us to fall into where we begin to idolize our jobs in some ways. And we can even kind of spiritualize that. And I would say that's true if you're working at a church. I mean, if I look at these guys and they're working, you know, <laughs> Jeremy, I hope you don't mind me too late. I have the microphone. So when we met before we were at Marietta Pizza and we were talking and about this job and he said he's been a coach. And a teacher. So he worked a lot. And he said, so what do you want me to work? Like 80 hours a week? And I was like, maybe a month. No, more than that. But not 80. Not 80. Even in a, not 80. Way too much. 
And so think about that. And that's whatever you're doing, whatever your job is. That's why we talked about rest last week. For some of us, our job becomes a basis for identity, not good, or a source of security. Your job does put food on the table, but ultimately God puts food on your table. And that can lead you into a fear-based uh, mentality very quickly. If you're, if you're like, my, I've got to, my job is what keeps the roof over my head. And so if anything goes wrong there, then I'm, I'm homeless. It can put you in a spot where you wind up working too much. You wind up maybe doing things that you wouldn't normally do because somebody's asking you to do those things. You compromise your integrity because you don't want to lose your job or because you've got to do that in order to get ahead. If you're in that boat, it's time to look for something else, most likely. So that makes sense? So you have a job. It's what I do. It's what I get paid for. It's how I put food on the table. It's what I do during the week, nine to five, whatever. And I've got a calling. My job may change seven or eight or nine or ten times, and that's fine. And God will place me. It's not that God is not involved in where I'm working. He absolutely is involved in where I'm working. And wherever I'm working, I'm saying, God, you sovereignly put me here. So what do you want to do? I'm salt and light in this place. I want to be the best worker I can be. I want to bless my company and the people who, my clients. I want, absolutely. And at the same time over here, I'm saying you also have a calling on my life, something that you created for me, good works. And those things are eternal. Most My job is not. My calling is that I'm contributing to what you're doing eternally, making all things new, making disciples. That's seeing your rule and reign extend in our city. And I want to hold on to both of those things for sure. I don't, I think, I'm looking around. One thing you see sometimes with people, particularly maybe youngish people, is they want their calling to pay the bills. A lot of times it's not going to. I would not look to your calling. I would not say my calling has got to pay the bills for me. A lot of people's callings will never be monetized. That's not the goal. Some of you, your deal is hospitality. That rarely, it's hard to make money doing that, inviting people into your home unless you're going to charge them. And then that's not hospitable any longer. So those things don't work necessarily. That doesn't make it less than at all. And I, 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 want, to make, I want to be very clear on that. It doesn't make it less than at all. It's just different, different ways that the Lord works for us. Do so you all have any questions for me about this before you... Get around your tables. I separated things that are normally much closer together just for the sake of explanation. Good? Okay. So I'm going to pray, and then you guys are going to discuss. Your table leaders, there will be some questions up there as prompts. They may or may not go based on that, and that's fine. Remember last week we said if you tend to talk a lot, maybe pull back. Let the quiet people share. If you tend to hide, maybe jump in early. Because we want to hear from you as well. And the table leaders, part of their job is to help make sure everybody is participating. So um, don't be offended if they either ask you to hold a comment or uh, to share. They're just trying to, part, their responsibility is to help make sure everybody's participating. So let me pray. And then you guys can discuss. God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you that you have a calling uh, for each one of them. That they're good works that you've created in advance. You formed and knit them together in their mother's womb, that's Psalm 139, and and you also created good works for them to do, Ephesians 2.10. And the, the, the same one who formed and knit them also created this life for them to live. 
They fit together like a hand in a glove. So, God, for any who are frustrated or or feel left out when it comes to the idea of vocation, they say, I don't have one. I've prayed. God's never said anything to me. Whatever that is, God, I pray that tonight they would be encouraged, that you begin to reveal to them the good works that you've created in advance for them to do, that every one of us would cooperate with what you're doing in our city and our world. And, God, I do pray. I pray particularly for people who maybe are frustrated in their jobs. Their jobs are overwhelming or they feel like they're not a good fit or for the, the environment's not great. God, I pray that you would encourage them tonight as well and they would hear you speaking to them about the job that you have them in and, and what you're asking of them, what you're trying to do in them through that, um, through that experience. So, God, I pray as we talk about work that we would hear your voice, not the expectations of our parents, not the expectations of our employers, not the expectations of our society. God, I pray what we would hear tonight is you speaking to us about what work looks like in our life. And we would be free to do everything to your glory. In your name, amen. One other thing I just thought about. Uh, I feel like one of the one thing when you think about your job, if you're going kind of sovereignty of God, he's put me there. I feel like one of the lessons that consistently God tries to put in us through work is submission to authority. And so that may be something for you if you're going, I'm not sure why I'm here. And normally that that is that is a life lesson, something we have to learn if we're going to really advance in the kingdom. That whole idea of submission to authority. And normally, that is put into us through a jerk. It's true. Most of us don't have any problems submitting to our grandparents. They're easy. It's people who are not. That's where you really learn, I'm not submitting to you because you're nice. I'm not submitting to you because I agree with you. I'm submitting to you because you're in authority over me. And so that's that may be, for some of you, that may be, That may be it. That may be the only reason you are where you are, is to learn that truth. And my encouragement would be to learn it fast, so you can go somewhere else. All right? Y'all, discuss.